Welcome to the Teachers to Tech podcast. I'm your host, Dean. This is the podcast where we tell you how you can grow your tech skills, whether you're starting from scratch or just want to go farther. You might be thinking about a new job, a whole new career, or just a new hobby. We'll have something for everyone, so keep listening. Welcome to this episode of Teachers to Tech. I'm your host, Dean. Today we're picking up where we left off from a previous episode. We were talking about the general things you need to know to get started in video. And today we're going to pick up some of what you might consider post-production topics, including editing. But right now, we know that in the earlier episode, we got far enough along that we had been able to capture our video. In other words, get it on camera the way we want it with the right lighting, the camera stable, using the right camera angle and composition. So we'll pick it up from there. Um, before we do, I want to clear one thing up. I bet I know what you're thinking. A few of you out there are thinking, is it my imagination or is he wearing the same shirt as on the last podcast? And my answer is, of course, it's your imagination. Okay, now that I've got that out of my system, let's get started. At the point we're at right now, we've set you up, as I said, so that you know how to capture your video the way you want. Now you've got to get it out to whoever your intended viewer is, right? So we're going to talk about three things right here. We're going to talk about screen captures. That'll be kind of a short discussion, very easy to do. And then we'll talk a little bit about live streaming. And finally, we're going to get into editing software for those times when you're going to take a recording, make a finished product, and put it out or publish it in a way that can be repeatedly viewed the way you want. You might be creating video for teaching, so that's based around a screen capture, or we could call that screencasting. For an example of screencasting, you're going to see in the future that I'm going to show you how to make forms for Google Forms that will work as surveys or quizzes if you want, and I'm going to use screen capture software to get that lesson to you. So that'll be coming up later on that Tech Migration website. I sometimes use a website called ScreenPal, and that will give you some features free. If you are using the latest version of Windows, you'll find that bringing up the Snip tool also offers you to choose screen capture. You'll see a little video camera icon next to the Snip icon. You can choose that. It'll give you a countdown, and whatever you do on screen will be recorded. You do have the option to have your mic live, too, so that you can narrate as you go. Once you finish recording, you're able to render the video out from whichever platform you're using and share it as you like. In some cases, you're allowed to just indicate that you would like the video you just created to be put out on a platform like YouTube, and you just sign in to your account, and it'll be placed out there ready for your viewers to use. If you're planning to live stream, you might already know that you can use Facebook Live or YouTube to share videos in real time. There are alternatives to platforms like Twitch, Twitch is known for gaming streams. Vimeo, which is for a more generalized market, where you've got something a little more robust and a little bit more uh, dedicated to the streaming itself. Don't forget that we've already learned some things that are helpful that have to do with our background and our lighting that still apply even if we're live streaming. Since this podcast is mainly about an overview of the technology, I don't want to go too far into details 
but I do want to recommend that you try out some basic live streaming with Facebook Live or with YouTube before you go into some of the other platforms, because there are some things you're going to want to work out, like your timing and how you're working with cameras and talent, before you even get into learning another platform. Just a kind of a way to cut your teeth, so to speak. There is one other type of software you may want to look for if you're going to get into live streaming, and that's broadcast studio software. Now, this type of software allows you to design presets or scenes that you can switch between while you're streaming. Let's say that you have two cameras, one aimed at your talent and another at a prop. You can set up scenes that feature each camera, and then you can switch between them while you're streaming. So maybe you want to fade the product in while your talent's talking about it, or you might add something to a scene so that you have one shot that is in a scene that is just your talent and another that is the same camera, but now you've added some font below to say, you know, this is so-and-so, the celebrity endorsing this product or whatever that is that you want to add, but you'll be able to fade in and out between that scene and the other one so that the font seems to just fade in and out over the picture or you can cut if you want to. You can add multiple sources beyond what I'm talking about now. And OBS, as it's called, is free. It's open source. There is a little bit of a learning curve, but that's what YouTube is for. There are good tutorials out there. I took a look at some alternatives, and they are either simple to use but cost, or they are simple to use and have less features, or they may not even be that simple to use, but they're pro level, but they're expensive. And so there's a lot of give and take, but it's a good idea to start out with OBS, learn a little bit about it, and see if it's for you before you jump onto something else. When we come back, we're going to start talking about editing software, and we'll also get into some audio sources for you. Very often you'll want to create a finished piece for multiple video files. You may add audio, you might add captions, titles, maybe even some still shots, and this is going to call for editing software. To stick to a value I've been working from right from episode one, I want to point out that there are some free software choices available that will be fine. OpenCut is an example of one. I'm going to talk a little bit about ShotCut that I sometimes use. Let's spend some time exploring features and benefits of pretty much any editing software. This isn't really a comparison because you should find these features in most editing software, including the freeware. So my idea here is to help you understand what to expect and what you're seeing when you first open the software. If you get a bit of an orientation, you won't be so overwhelmed when you open it up and say, hey, what are all these windows and frames and what are all these things that I'm not familiar with the terminology for. You can also use this bit of discussion here as kind of a set of search terms you might use if you want to go out to YouTube and say, well, how would I do such and such in OpenCut or this in ShotCut and find it out from there. Uh, so I've mentioned to you already ShotCut, which is open source. It's free and it's been around for a while, and there's a great support community out there. There are even people that contribute things that you can use, like transitional cuts and background, audio files, things like that, that are just out there free to add to your project. 
So what will we see when we open up our video editor? Well, typically we're going to be offered to open up a new project or a file. And when we open up a project, we're going to see different windows all on the same screen with different areas we need to work in. One will be a screen that shows you your video as it plays back. So as you're building your production, you can check and see what you've got so far, for instance. Another will show you all the files you've imported into the project. So let's say that you have two audio files, two video files, and two still shots. You'll have windows where you can see these files. And pretty often you can just drag them into a third window, which is your timeline, and say, I would like this still shot first because I'm about to put a title over the top of it, a caption underneath it or whatever, and then we'll get a video shot after that, etc. You just drag them onto the timeline. There will be tools, once you've got the items onto your timeline, that will let you drag and select and say, you know what, I don't want this section of the video in. So I've selected that and I'll say, cut that out. This is a real easy thing to do and this is kind of the beginning of editing. We've taken our pieces, we've put them on the timeline in the order we want, we start cutting out what we don't want, we can slide things around in the timeline till they fit together the way we want. And now we've kind of done some, what used to be called assemble editing. Our pieces are all bumped up against each other, kind of like you might think of a train on the tracks. You don't really overlap cars at all, but they're all linked together and they'll all move together. But sometimes we want to do a little bit better than that. So far, what we've got are just cuts. So the way I described, we had that still shot with some font over it, and then all of a sudden we would have seen the screen change all at once. show whatever video that we had put next in the timeline. It's just a kind of an abrupt change, and I'm not really a big fan of that. When I'm doing basically either corporate or educational videos, I want something a little bit softer. The cut is okay with news gathering when they say, now we're going to go out to our reporter live, and the scene just suddenly changes. But I like it a little softer, so it's not so jarring when I need somebody to kind of stay focused during some presentation that I'm giving them. So what I'll need is some kind of a transition. And a transition could be a sequence where we see one scene or one picture on screen and the other one starts to come over top of it in some way, maybe wiping in from left to right. Literally, that move can be called a wipe as a kind of a transition. Or we might have one scene start to fade out while the other one fades in, called a crossfade, or back in earlier video history, it used to be called a dissolve, and you can kind of see why the one picture seems to dissolve into the other. When we want to produce these, in most editing software, all we do is take whatever scenes we want to have a transition between and drag them on top of each other a bit, so that they overlap at their edges, and the area in between represents the amount of time your transition is going to take place. And there are different ways of saying, this is the transition I want, I want to wipe, I want to dissolve. You can pick those 
generally from a window that offers you all the different effects that your software offers you. And from then on, that will be applied so that as you play back your video, you can see that transition happen. And when you go to render that video, generally referred to as publishing it, into some finished format that can then be viewed by a viewer on some kind of a player, those dissolves or wipes or whatever transitions you built in will be part of the finished video forever. While we're talking about effects like this, I want to take a second and touch on green screens. Now, I know I talked about them when we talked about backgrounds before, but here is how you use a green screen once you've gotten yourself into an editor. When you know that you've got a green screen scene, you can drag that into the timeline and there will be some version of a green screen feature built into your editor that will allow you to choose a second item, whether that is a still shot for some kind of background that you want to put in, or if it's some kind of action that's going on that you want your narrator to talk about that's been captured on another camera, you can choose that as the other item that's running at the same time and just say, hey, this goes in where there's a green screen. And so you'll have your talent or whatever other item is in front of the green screen still showing, but everything that is that chroma key color that green, or in some cases it can be blue or some other color, your editor might let you pick what color you want to screen over, that will all be replaced by that second image or that second video that you want to use. You can get commercial backdrops, pretty large ones, pretty inexpensively, that are the right kind of green to use. The one thing you need to know is, if you're going to do this, make sure your lighting is very even because your software will see shadows as a different color green, and your green screen will not come out even. You'll have splotches missing from the picture you're trying to screen in. Another feature that you're going to see that's related is picture-in-picture. Picture. So it could be that we have talent on screen discussing something while we have a smaller picture that just shows the product, and it was taken separately. Well, that can be done with picture-in-picture picture feature. Usually, you're allowed to place that second picture pretty much anywhere you want on your main picture. And you can sync up so that if you have video for your second picture, the action in the video can fall wherever you want it to on the timeline in comparison with what is on the main screen. So, imagine a football game where two people are commenting on some recorded portion of a game. Let's say a player fumbles a ball and it looks like a ridiculous fumble. You could have one character saying to another, and can you believe that ridiculous fumble? And you can time that so that the fumble happens right at the point that comment is made. It's very versatile. Now, the way we do that is we add multiple tracks, but those are tracks of video. We probably have captured some audio for a lot of types of video that we want to play, but in others, we may want to add things. It could be just as simple as we want some opening and closing music for our titles and our credits. We can add tracks to our video that are audio tracks and then import, or we can record live narration as well. But when we do this, we can again drag and drop those files 
to wherever we need them in the timeline, we can clip them short or fade them out and fade them in. So, for instance, in this show, when we start, you'll hear that opening and you'll hear the music fade out. Well, I generally record all the audio like this for the show. Then I bring in that opening and I just drag all of the actual show content over until it doesn't start unless we've got that music fading out at the beginning. You can do that with video as well. Now, about music. Just to kind of wrap up, as you know, I like freebies. And so I got a little free help from an AI and said, I need to know what I can do to send my listeners to places where they can get free music that's copyright free that they can use in their productions. And by the way, if you're going big, there are places you can spend and pretty much find exactly the kind of music you'll want for any production. But I'm sending you to the places where you can get stuff for free that will work just fine as you're starting out. And by the way, just a little tip. At the company I work for during the day, I was friends with one of the marketing guys, and he was reworking a rough cut of something I produced. And I said something about, I know you'll need to beef up the music. I said, where do you get yours from? He said, well, basically, I can slap something together in GarageBand. So if you're an iPhone user or you're a Mac user, Apparently, that is a great way to get something together quickly for title music, bump music, and music for your credits. But I'm just going to run you real quickly through a list of sources for free music. And I want to tell you that this stuff will also be in the show notes, just a list so that you know where you can get this. And then we'll go on to titles and captions. So, first off, YouTube has its own audio library. And you can produce out on YouTube and simply pick some music that you'd like to add. Some of it was stuff I had gotten to beforehand from other sources and found that the creators realized they could get some attention and get some play by making their stuff available out there. Then there's the Free Music Archive, which has all kinds of downloads of all different styles of music from science fiction-y type backgrounds to surf rock music all available for download, and some of it is under Creative Commons license. Dean, what's that? Well, go back to our software freebies episode if you want to know about copyright and how that all works. But basically, some of that stuff is just out there for you to take and use even commercially. And then there's Incompetech, and I'm not sure why he used this name, but it's a composer named Kevin McLeod, and he's been around and you'll find his stuff different places. For a while, one of his songs was used, I believe, on the demo videos that you would see when you went to buy a TV in a big box store. And some other stuff that has been on some of these websites, I'm telling you, has been on those demos as well. But Kevin McLeod does a whole lot of great stuff. And that website, Incompetech, I'm not editing that out, uh, is a great place to go to get a whole variety of music. Then there's one called Gemendo, and this link will be out there as well. As apparently, this is a real diverse selection of music. This isn't one that I have been to, but the AI recommended it, and how can you go wrong if you ask the AI? There's SoundCloud. Most of you probably already know about SoundCloud. Maybe 
Some of your friends are recording music and putting it out there. Maybe you've listened to indie stuff that's out there. And then CC Mixter, which has Creative Commons license content out on it. And last but not least is freesound.org. Now, this is a place you can go and get sound effects. And that's something that you'd be surprised how many times you wish you had those. And these clips are free. All right, remember to always check the specific licensing terms for each track or source that you use. Make sure that you're in compliance with whatever rights they offer you and you're not taking more than you should. Just because something is available free on the internet does not mean that it is copyright free. And just because somebody allows users to use their music for free on a free production doesn't mean you're free to use it in, say, your commercial production. When we come back, we'll talk about titling and captioning for just a second, and then what it means to produce your video so that it is ready to show. I want to explain why I've got titles and captions coming last for a minute here, even though you say, well, gee, I might see a title before I see anything else in a video. And that's true. But titles and captions tend to be things that I add after I've done what I consider to be more the heavy lifting of getting everything lined up between audio and video or transitions I need to use. That's a lot harder to me. And so now to just slap some titles on and captions seems very easy. And I'll tell you why. If you have ever added a text box anywhere in Microsoft products, this is going to feel pretty much the same. You say, hey, I want to add some text here, and you're going to set that text in on top of your timeline or on top of your video and choose a place within the screen that that should fall, and you simply type in the text, and you'll be able to change things like font color, font style, and the actual font that's being used. I do recommend when you are adding font, please do some previews and make sure your font falls where you think it will. I've been in the situation where I thought my font was laid on the screen just fine, and then when the video played back after I got everything done, produced it, and started watching it on another device, found out I had the font too low, and so two lines under the character, so let's say it was a newscaster, and it said, you know, Jojo Jones, and underneath it said Local News Service 1 or whatever, Local News Service 1 or whatever that was, was chopped in half by the bottom of my picture. So do make sure that you test to see how your placement really falls out. Make sure you choose a color that really stands out too. In a lot of cases, I found I had to rely on the same colors over and over again, like a bright yellow to go against a dark background or something that I wanted to recede more while the font stood out in the foreground. This brings us to producing. So we've got our video arranged the way we want. We've got our audio layered on top of that where we need it. And now we are ready to output what it is that we want viewers to be able to use. When you got your video edited to your satisfaction, you'll be able to export it or to publish it with a variety of resolutions and file types. Now, a lot of times your editing software will say to you, look, if you're going to output this at this resolution, that'd be okay if you're going to view it on the web. However, if you're going to use it for certain other things, you'll want to go with this higher resolution or lower if it's going to be embedded somewhere and you don't want to make your files too big. 
You can look up more details about that later, but you'll generally want to go, I think, with the highest resolution that will get you a file size you can still work with. Now, there are some common types, and they are named after some bigger technical formats, but you can identify them usually by their file extension, so the part of the file name that comes after the dot. And a couple of the types are MP4 and AVI. And I'm just, I had to get help here to come up with these definitions. So I'm going to give you what I got as I did some research with my pal, the AI again. So here's what we've got. The MPEG-4 or MP4, it's very versatile. It's got efficient compression, meaning we can get that file fairly small, but it'll still play back very nicely. This is the one I typically use when I'm making corporate training video internally for whatever I need somebody to study at my company. It's got good quality, but that small file size means I could put it out as a web video. It can be viewed on mobile devices also. Um, but then the AVI, or that stands for, if you want to know, Audio Video Interleave. It's an older format. It's very high quality, but you're going to have larger file sizes. It works well for professional video and for archiving, but you don't want to use it as often for sharing online. There are some other file formats out there like MOV, WMV, and MKV. Depending on what you're trying to do, you might choose one of these at some point. Myself, I like the MP4 because it's easy to work with. There are a lot of platforms that understand it. And then if I had to work with specific devices, I could do that by choosing those other formats to output afterwards. Oh, wait, this isn't compatible with what Jojo Jones is using. All you have to do is go back to your editing software and say, well, apparently I'm going to need a .mov file of this video as well. And you can put out that alternate version with the same content just as easily as putting out the first version. All right, that about wraps it up. I have talked to you about a lot of sources today and websites, etc. I will get those out on the show notes. And so you can dig around a little bit more, maybe grab some of the free stuff while you're experimenting. And I want to thank you again for listening, as always, and invite you to, number one, subscribe if you haven't already, review us if your platform for podcasts allows you to do that, and please tell a friend. Oh, and don't forget, there's the feedback form. I'd love to hear from you if you've got a comment or suggestion about the show. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you again soon. That's all we have for today. This is Dean saying thanks for listening. And we hope to have you back with us next time on Teachers to Tech.